Hello everyone and welcome to Behold, the podcast where we try to answer once and for all, what is the best comic book adaptation? Yes, be it movie or TV show, we'll watch it and rank it until we have our definitive number one. Who is we? Well, I'm your host Andrew, and as per usual, I'm joined by my co-host Mick. Hello! And Rob. Hello! So how are we doing today, guys? Um, well... <clears throat> The house is still standing, despite the wind's best efforts to huff and puff and blow my house down. True. And, uh, you know, one more day of fasting left. <laughs> or slowing, <laughs> as I call it. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, hell. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's Eid tomorrow, which is going to be weird. <laughs> How Rather like subdued. Having this wi- having this massive uh, religious celebration during a time of global pandemic and lockdown, where no one can actually go around to ever to like their relatives' houses and eat their fill of all sorts of tasty food, is going to be bizarre. I mean, it's like it's solidarity. I am also going to spend tomorrow eating a load of food. <laughs> Me too. The trick, listeners, is not to ask what I'm doing on the other days of the week. <laughs> uh, I mean, I mean, to be fair, what you've described for your Eid just sounds like Christmas round at our house. Lots of food and no one there to eat it. Well, Except me. I was about to say, I'm sure Andrew and I can volunteer our services there, Mick. No, no, it's all right. I've got it covered. <laughs> what do anyway, you say, Andrew? enough of these shenanigans. <laughs> Because now it's time to switch on our rocket boots and immediately smash into the nearest wall as we behold Iron Man. Yes, today we are going to be talking about uh, the 2008 Iron Man film, directed by John Favreau, written by Mark Fergus, Hawk, Ots- Hawk Ostby, Art Markham, and Matt Holloway, and based on the comics created by Stan Lee. Larry Lieber, Don Heck, and Jack Kirby. I have to say, Hawk Ostby is a great name for a writer. It is. I mean, it's not Cullen Bunn, but it's close. See, Cullen Bunn would be a great name for a baker, wouldn't it? (laughs) (laughs) I'm Cullen Bunn, and this is my headline product, The Cullen Bunn. Ostby and Bunn is like a detective procedural show I would watch. Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, that high-end New York law firm. But anyway, before we jump into today's film, Iron Man, Tony Stark. Do we know him? Do we like him? Are we happy with him? I mean, are we supposed to like him? No, I don't think we're supposed to like him right at the beginning. Because, um, I mean, the first, was it uh, Incredible Hulk? Was the first introduction of uh, Tony Stark? No, Rob. It was, in fact, the film Iron Man. Yeah. Was it? That's why today we are talking about the film Iron Man. Okay, right. You know, then. the film that kicked off the MCU. Sorry, I got confused between the... Right, okay. Ignore that. I mean, I say that I have this moral high ground up until the point we get to where it's like, okay, the next MCU film is like Thor 2, but eh, let's talk about something else. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we can't talk I mean, about Thor 2 without talking about Thor first. I mean, to be fair, 
there is a slight difference in um, ignoring a film because you don't want to do it and ignoring a film that we're talking about because Iron Man, without Tony Stark, wouldn't really exist. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, are we um, at all familiar with the Iron Man comics? Uh, yeah. I've I've dabbled with them over the years. I've read quite a few Iron Man comics. Um, the early kind of uh, Silver Age ones. Was it Silver Age that Iron Man came out? Yeah, yeah it was definitely the Silver yeah. Age. It was like kind of 60, I want to say yeah. 64 maybe. I think it was something like, like that. Fantastic Four was definitely 1963. Yeah. Uh, and then a lot of the other Marvel ones were kind of the years following that. Because it, it wasn't like a straight-up superhero comic he was in. It Was it was it Tales of Suspense or something? That yeah, had... yeah, like a lot of them, he started off as just a kind of one-off Tales of Suspense story, and then that spit out into its own thing. Yeah. I must admit, I always remember um, Iron Man as a, a standalone, or a member of the Avengers, or various other team-ups. I mean, uh, one of the things that always puzzled me about Iron Man was I knew it was supposed to be some kind of some kind of strange uh, take on the whole idea of a, a knight in armor, but I never quite understood that particular aspect. I think it's because I didn't read enough of the Silver Age comics. Yeah, I think the knight thing that was more just like a design choice. Because mm. I know, obviously, kind of the big. Inspiration for Tony Stark is like Howard Hughes. Yeah, um, that that that's one of the reasons why it always puzzled me because uh, the whole medieval knight thing—they were always wealthy nobility type things—and there was the Howard Hughes aspect, which didn't really fit, I suppose. Yes, he was yeah. wealthy and stuff, but so I, I think basically a lot of the thinking. Um, going back and forth between Stan and Larry and Don and Jack is hey this looks cool let's do that yeah <laughs> <laughs> no no you you, you you got it slightly wrong there Andrew it's hey this looks cool let's do that <laughs> that's right I, I forgot about you know taking a puff on the old inspiration pipe first <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think I, I joke about that, but I think that is kind of the thing I like best about Iron Man is like throughout the years, he always kind of like undergoes these revisions. He's always like the one character who's like supposed to be looking modern and up to date. Yeah. And like stylish for the time. And I always think that's cool. You see that kind of armor evolve and develop. Yeah, from roller skates to rocket boots. <laughs> yes. Oh, man, we. We need to do some kind of side content at some point about just all the weird things the Iron Man armor has had. Oh, that's gotta be that's gotta be one of the four panel things. <laughs> Remember when it used to have a nose? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> remember, remember when the armor fell in love with him? Oh, I wish I didn't. <laughs> the worst part is the armor that happened. That's actually my favorite suit of Iron Man armor that that happened to. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Sorry, made me so sad. Right, next four panel, we know what we're doing. <laughs> well, that'll make a change. Yeah. So, yes, listeners, well, welcome to this planning session for one of our other podcasts <laughs> that this has inadvertently turned into. 
So yeah, so Iron Man comics, I would say kind of the two big runs that I'm a fan of, I think people should read. Uh, first of all, the uh, David uh, Michelini run in the 1980s, which is kind of the run that really like set a lot of the stories Iron Man's best known for. So that was like, you know, Demon in a Bottle. Yeah. Uh, I, I believe that was like the Ironmonger stuff, which you know, is one of the things that plays into the film. Yeah, and uh, also includes my favorite Iron Man story: the uh, the Armor Wars. Yes, the Armor Wars were brilliant because uh, it's just Tony Stark going around the globe, going, "That armor's mine. Give it me back." Yeah, but the weird thing was the Armor Wars actually actually fit into Tony's personality of the time as well. Um, especially after after the because it was after the Demon in the Bottle bottle storyline, wasn't it? Which is still one of the, I suppose, one of the darker storylines that I've read in comics. Yeah, I mean, I'd say it maybe doesn't 100% hold up today. Yeah. Because it is quite a naive take on things. But yeah, but the fact that, like, you had a superhero dealing with alcoholism. Yeah. It's, like, pretty revolutionary at the time. Yeah, so there's that one, which is all good stuff. And then the uh, other one, I would say, is amazing, is the uh, the Matt Fraction run. Which started, um, I think, around the same time as this film came out, kind of mid two thousand and eight. Hmm. And that's just—I think that kind of set a lot of the tone for like modern Iron Man stories. Was and really great story arcs. Was that the Five Nightmares one? Yeah, that's the one with the Five Nightmares, where it's basically like really delving into the psychology of Tony Stark and like yeah. how he's afraid his armor will be used uh, against himself and other people. Yes, um, that was really good. Yeah, and they also had this great arc called uh, "World's Most Wanted." Well, like, so it was during this time in Marvel Comics called the Dark Reign, where Norman Osborn was basically like the head of Shield, and he decides he's going to brand Tony Stark a fugitive and go after him, and infects Tony with like this brain disease that's like slowly deteriorating his functions. And, like, there's this thing throughout the story, like, as Tony's getting, like, less and less smart, he's having to revert to, like, older and older versions of the armour, because they're more simple. Yeah. I know uh, one of my uh, favourite uh, Iron Man stories was, um, I can't remember the name of it, it was um, Deliverance. You know the one where uh, it doesn't really feature the armour, it's basically... That's his... right, the one where he goes and goes to the south... And yeah. he meets that one guy with the banjo. <laughs> yes, I know. I know. I'm laughing, but um, it's it's actually quite a quite it's actually quite a challenging story, I suppose, to write in the first place because it's dealing a lot with uh, with Tony Stark rather than the character of Iron Man. That is good. Yeah, uh, Tony Stark. Like we we kind of had a bit of um, you know, on is he likable? Mm. And I think. That is one of the things that makes Tony Stark interesting. Yeah. Is he's one of those characters where it's like it's very easy for him like to see him become the villain. Yeah. And by rights, he should be a villain, shouldn't he? He should. Also, flip side of that coin, he's a robot and robots are cool. Yep. <laughs> That's that was definitely like the foundation of my getting into Iron Man. <laughs> also, weird bit of Iron Man trivia. Hmm? I actually got into him through the, uh, the 90s animated Iron Man TV series. Which was actually very good. I liked it. It was. But there was like 
this whole period of time where I knew the Marvel team Force Works better yes. than like the Avengers. Yes. <laughs> I remember Force Works. Like that was just such a wildly like disproportionate view that oh yeah, Iron Man's like nineties knockoff B list Avengers. Yes, they're the main superhero team. Yeah. Oh, I mean, uh, don't forget, my main comic book reading was the 80s and 90s. <laughs> yeah, it is. That, that is generally that's something I love about, like, random old comics is just how you can get, like, completely different status quo. I mean, oh, yeah, things used to be very different. Anyway, Iron Man, the film. Yes. Shall I uh, do a little synopsis for that? Yes, you synopsize. Yes. Oh no, you didn't fall into my trap. You're supposed to say, yes, a little synopsis. And then I go, ha, you, well, tough luck, because it's actually quite a long one. <laughs> so, our film begins with billionaire inventor and industrialist Tony Stark, Robert Downey Jr., who works as a defense contractor for the U.S. military. Uh, while in Afghanistan, showcasing his new Jericho missile, Tony's convoy is attacked and he's caught in an explosion. Waking up in a cave, Tony finds that not only has he been captured by the Ten Rings terrorist organization to build them a Jericho missile for their very own, but he also has a piece of shrapnel lodged near his heart from the explosion and would be dead if not for a rudimentary electromagnet on his chest. Jesus Christ, that's a complicated... Rudimentary electromagnet. Hey, you wrote the synopsis. (laughs) I know, I'm disappointed at myself. Built by the surgeon Ho Yinsen, Sean Tube. Uh, Tony refines the device using his own arc reactor technology, and the two then build an armoured battlesuit to help them escape, although Yinsen is killed in the attempt. So, his eyes now open to the destructive impact his weapons have, Tony returns to America to announce that Stark Industries will no longer produce weapons of mass destruction. Uh, he then begins working on a new project a new version of the suit that he used to escape, a more refined, sleek and powerful and laser blastery version so that he can then fight against the Ten Rings as Iron Man. However, what Tony doesn't realise is that his friend and mentor Obadiah Stane, Jeff Bridges, is secretly the one selling weapons to and controlling the Ten Rings. So Tony then has to team up with his best friend James Rhodes, Terence Howard, for now. (laughs) (laughs) And his long-suffering PA slash love interest, Pepper Potts, Gwyneth Paltrow, as well as Phil Coulson, Clark Gregg, of the Strategic Homeland Intervention Enforcement and Logistics Division to stop Stane and his bootleg Ironmonger armor, which was reverse-engineered from Tony's original suit. Also, John Favreau's in this film as Happy Hogan, but he's not really important to this one. Yeah. Um, I'll be honest, when I watched this, I didn't realise that he was the director. <laughs> I had no idea who he was. Bless you, Rob. <laughs> I was watching it, I was like, oh, that guy's familiar. I wonder who he's been in. Ah. <laughs> 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 <sighs> The Magnificent World of Rob. No, that was the first time I watched Iron Man, way back in the day. Didn't know who John Favreau was. Never, uh, Didn't remember what he was in. Oh, now, right. Okay. No, I, I thought you meant, like, 
when you were watching it for the show. Oh, no, no, no. I know who he is now, obviously. <laughs> okay, yeah, no, definitely, like, back in... Um, I mean, honestly, maybe 2009, because I didn't actually watch this when it came out in the cinemas. But yeah, back when I was watching it, I, I certainly didn't, like, know that, oh, yes, that man is the man that directs the film. No. Although, you know, to be fair, uh, Rob did earlier in this very episode mention that Tony Stark wasn't first mentioned until The Incredible Hulk, which is the next movie in the series. So That's because I got confused in the timelines, because... <laughs> the movies, the movies, very uh, the early movies. Okay, it's easy to get a bit confused between which movie got, came out when. Well, not when Iron Man is known to be the first. I mean, it can only come in one order. Oh. as the first. I mean, I'll give you guys a choice. You can either a discuss the film. I'll just continue this argument for like the next half an hour or so. No, no, no. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not fine with either. I'm, I'm not. I'm not going to argue. Everyone acknowledges Iron Man as the first, and I'm not going to argue with that because it is. It's just in my head, I got my timelines a bit confused, which is easy enough to do. So I guess it doesn't help when there is also a film called Captain America: The First Avenger. Yeah, but that is an episode for a later date. Maybe in fitting with chronology with the rest of the MCU, maybe not. <laughs> it's all gravy. <laughs> I'll tell you. I'll tell you what did strike me when we watched when I watched this for the show. Um, the amount of assistance Marvel needed, because when I put the Blu-ray in, it started off with a Paramount logo mm. before you got the Marvel branding. The Marvel. The Marvel identity itself was a lot less bombastic than it is by the time you get to Phase 3. Actually, yeah. It, that, it was Paramount that distributed uh, Iron Man, wasn't it? Yeah. See, actually, I was just thinking... Um, or maybe I just wasn't paying attention. No, because no, I suppose they couldn't have just taken the Paramount bit off on Disney+, Plus, could they? No. See, so, yeah, no, I, I think I might like, completely not off clock that, but yeah, yeah. Because this was pre um, Marvel being bought by Disney, so yeah, and 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 it was you know Marvel were as a studio, Marvel weren't that big. Yeah, I mean, uh, this was to be honest. Spider Man had done all right because the Spider Man trilogy was out before this, yeah. But was Fox so Marvel? Yeah. Name was on it, but yeah, yeah. yeah although, um, no, no, I think Spider Man Sony, isn't it? Sony, oh, no, Sony, Sony. Yeah. Uh, Fox yeah. was X Men, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, um, Fox is X Men and Fantastic Four, yeah. Sony is Spider Man. Um, yeah. and so there was, I mean, and you had the DC stuff, the uh, I think Batman Begins came out before this, didn't it? Yes, I, I, I would say one thing about this film is that it definitely occurred after Batman Begins came out. Yeah, um, but my point is that there was a market for superhero films, but uh, I mean, X-Men had been sold off to uh, Fox, uh, Spider-Man had been sold off to Sony, so taking a punt on Iron Man, of the characters you have left that you have access to, was a bit of a punt, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, he's... he's... Yeah. He's certainly never been an A-lister uh, amongst the comics. I mean, 
even going back to when I was when I was a kid, if if I was what if if I was going down to the uh, news agents to pick up a comic, um, of the sort of solo series that were available uh, down my local news agent, mm. I'd pick up a a Thor ahead of an Iron Man. Yeah, I'd pick up a Spider Man ahead of an Iron Man. Uh, I mean, I know, I know, I said solo series, but the, the Fantastic Four is effectively a solo series because it's it's yeah. always the team, isn't it? Yeah, or yeah, it certainly like was a back single then. unit, basically. Yeah. yeah. So, I, yeah, Fantastic Four that would be picked up before I am Iron Man um, was kind of dull. Yeah, I mean, uh, I can name then. I can name several uh, several solo standalone series that I'd pick up before Iron Man, Captain America, even. At, in that and Captain America was generally boring unless there was Cap Wolf involved. Um, but I'd, actually, to be fair, I'd have picked up Captain Britain as well because Captain Britain was um, quite big in the sort of late seventies, early eighties. Yeah, but I mean, um, during the nineties, I think that I, I think it was the nineties version of Iron Man, which probably the uh, aside from the um, thingy, the Armor Wars storyline. I think it was probably the '90s version of Iron Man when he was actually the leader of the Avengers, along with Tony, along with um, Steve Rogers, and became more prominent because of things like Infinity Gauntlet and that. And if they were focused on Infinity Gauntlet, they had to introduce Iron Man at some point. Well, I mean, to be fair, back then, like Infinity Gauntlet, I don't think that was even necessarily their plan. No, I don't think it was the plan either. Literally, just let us make. A movie, a yeah. movie that like we can build a studio. So yeah, there was there was a lot riding on this movie. Oh yeah, I mean, uh, um, for a movie that they were taking a punt on, they they got a pretty good cast together though. Yeah, well, well I mean, like I said, it's, I don't think it's so much taking a punt as like literally, we need to go big on this one because it's like this is our first impression. This is the one kind of we need to get right. Yeah. And then we can make Thor too later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, uh, you got yeah. a very good point there. Well, I mean, I mean, even like Thor two, I would even say like Iron Man two, like Iron Man one, even like big smash hit success. Mm. I think probably the others didn't really like get up to it until about the Avengers, because like Captain America and Thor, I feel like the general consensus was. Yeah, those ones were pretty good. I'll, I'll continue watching these. Yeah. I mean, um, thinking about it, there was a lot more... Iron Man was a lot more bombastic than the ones that came after. I know they had, like, in Iron Man 2, there was, uh, you know, a lot more of the, you know, stage production, flashy display, you know, Steve Jobs type, uh, stand on stage and announce all this new technology stuff. That was an angle on it. But um, Iron Man just... It seemed a lot more uh, um, brutish, you know, come and have a go if you think you're hard enough type stuff. Yeah. Well, well, I mean, I think also by the time we got, like, Iron Man 2, and even kind of by around, again, Captain America type time, I feel like there was a better idea of, like, what the MCU was going to be. Yeah. This is... This is a film where, like, you can definitely see a lot of the seeds of things that would go into like building up the MCU. But it's definitely like I was kind of saying earlier, 
gives you a lot more inspiration from things like kind of Batman Begins of doing that very no this is like a very grounded 100% real world thing and then we're going to put like this one superhero thing but we're also going to go to like great details explaining how it works yeah flash forward to like a decade later and I'm going to use the magic gems in my gauntlet to wipe out half the universe fair enough yeah yeah I just I, I do think it's interesting to see like to go back so you can really see oh yeah things very much have escalated from like 2008 yeah and I think that I think the thing about um, the bombastic nature of, of Iron Man and, um, and going go, it, it's basically Marvel Studios going big or going home isn't it yeah and I think um, probably one of the things that they got absolutely nailed on 100% was the casting of Robert Downey Jr. Yes. Oh, yeah, I, I would say, like, 100% the core thing that makes this film work is Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, um, from the very first moment, he's got that, uh, you know, when you first see him, he's got that smarmy, you know, I'm better than you personality. He's got the swagger, the the capricious nature. I mean, you know, basically, if if Robert Downey Jr. had been a wealthy industrialist rather than an actor, he probably would have been Tony Stark. Yeah, um, yeah, because it's like it's, it's one of those weird, where like it's Robert Downey Jr. and he's basically playing Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, but in a way that just fits in so well with like who Tony Stark is. Yeah, yeah. And I, th- I, I think there are probably other actors that could and probably were considered for the role at the time. Um, yeah, well, I know like the um, the big famous one is the studios originally wanted Tom Cruise. Yeah, wouldn't have worked. Would not have worked. No, absolutely not. Because. He wouldn't that have fit in the suit like, for a start. Oh my god. But no, they could have just used an actual Iron Man action figure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, my, uh, uh, when, I, when I found out that the, that Tom Cruise was originally one of the um, actors considered for the role of uh, Tony Stark, my brain froze at the thought of Tom Cruise with a gaudy. <laughs> <laughs> like I can't picture it. I I do. I mean, Tom Cruise with a mustache. Even I just cannot see it. I mean, he probably would have just refused to grow one because he's Tom Cruise. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but it's just basically Iron Man with Tom Cruise is just a Tom Cruise movie, isn't it? Yeah. And like, I think generally that would have been. It probably still would have been a fairly enjoyable movie, and then there might have been like a few sequels. But I don't think we definitely would not have got like the MCU out of it. Thing is that that few years when Iron Man came out was a bit of a strange period because you had like I think it was 2005 was Batman Begins, wasn't it? Yeah. There's a point to what I'm saying that relates to Iron oh, Man, oh, don't worry. That's difficult to think about. Yeah. There's a point to what I'm saying that relates to Iron Man, don't worry. But Batman Batman Begins, you got wealthy billionaire superhero which is a parallel to Iron Man, obviously. But then, in kind of, I think it was uh, Spider-Man Three 
was the was more the one I wanted to focus on because Spider Man three tried to be that bombastic superhero where there's like with kind of a one you know he's got kind of a dual dual nature type thing which uh, he doesn't like and he changes like twice during the movie but it just didn't work in that and I I wonder if that was something that. Uh, you know, John Favreau and the writers considered while they were still in the pre-production for Iron Man, looking at uh, Spider-Man Three and saying, "Okay, we're not doing it that way." Uh, maybe to us, I'm not sure I really see the comparison that much. Well, you know, they tried to make uh, Peter Parker the arrogant character in the way that Tony Stark is supposed to be arrogant and capricious and stuff like that. Do you see what I mean? To be honest, no, that, like I would not compare the two, but it's a it's a thing we don't have to get hung up on. Yeah, well, we'll put it in the Rob Bank. It's just a thought. I just thought because they were all out around the same, uh, you know, within a few years of each other. I thought it might be it might have had some sort of effect and kind of pushed them in the direction they went in. Yeah, yeah. Also, random side tangent. As soon as I said Rob Bank, I started thinking. Of Amazing Spider-Man Two, <laughs> you know, got a post credit bit where it's like it's a random guy walking through the hall of like the Sinister Six backpacks. <laughs> that, but it's just weird things that you've said on one of our podcasts. Actually, the we bizarrely enough, the film that I think parallels a lot more with uh, Iron Man than any other film, I think, is Man of Steel. Ah, no, no, Rob, no. You you take your Zack Snyder and you get him out of here. <laughs> I know they're releasing the Snyder Cut. I, wasn't, I don't care. I wasn't but... talking about the Snyder Cut. There's actually, w- w- the actual Man of Steel that they released. I'm going to have to do an episode on it, Rob. All right. I'm going to have to watch the four-hour Justice playing movie. What <laughs> <laughs> if it's a TV miniseries? <laughs> <laughs> I'll just <laughs> six hours long. Uh, have we lost Mick or something? <laughs> Mick, yes, if we lose you, <laughs> you did. My, it's it's good of you to notice the minute I get back. <laughs> well, I beeped. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I assumed you just stormed out when I started mentioning the Snyder curse. <laughs> <laughs> no, but now that you have again. I was just saying, uh, Andrew, the film that I think kind of parallels Iron Man the most is Man of Steel. No, that's just a terrible pun. Mm, no, I, I, yeah, I know there's the pun. Okay, all oh, I'm saying is... Uh, I see, because he's the... He's the Iron Man. <laughs> all I'm saying is, you know, there's the two father figures, um, the one who, uh, you know, that uh, both of whom are dead, for a start, there's the legacy of the technology that he inherited, or his inheritance from, you know, one of his dads, uh, and also the legacy of uh, the promises he made to his other father figure. In Iron Man's case, it's Jensen, or Jensen, sorry. Um, do you see where I'm going with this? Yeah, but... I mean, there's the technology to- that belongs to him that's misused by somebody else, which he then has to beat. Yeah, you have got to remember that there are only seven stories in the world. 
And the, yeah, and but I'm sure else, one of them was retelling of them. Yeah, I'm sure one of them wasn't. Look, this guy's stolen my <laughs> stolen my technology. I have to feed him. No, but it is a riches to rags or rags to riches, which is one of the seven story types. So, in in but, the enclosed world of comic book hero movies, the chances are that t- it's going to be a plot that gets used a lot. I was going to say, Tony Stark surely should be riches to riches. Well, potentially, it could have been riches to rags because he was blocked out of his own company, wasn't he? Ah, uh, yeah, true. Yeah. And we'll, we'll see, you know, one of the things about Iron Man is, is you can't, like, drill too far down into the themes. Yeah. Because then you do hit problems, like the fact that kind of... Tony doesn't necessarily learn that much of a lesson. Like, he starts off an arrogant billionaire and ends an arrogant billionaire with his own highly advanced suit of armour. And I guess, I don't know, he's got a shiny thing on his chest. Yeah. Which keeps him alive. It's also, there's maybe something to be said that the moral of the movie is the only person who we can trust with our most powerful weapon is a reckless billionaire. Yeah, but, I mean, isn't that just a parallel of the real world right now? Yes, which is why it's a bad lesson, Paul. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but yeah, speaking of said highly advanced flight suit, I think it may be obvious to say, but my favourite thing about this movie is definitely the armour's... Like, I'd, I'd love the way you get that progression from, like, the suit you build in the cave and just this giant hulking thing of just, like, scrap metal. But then, like, you still see, like, the claw of the Iron Man suit in it and then seeing him, like, strip it away and kind of, like, refine it down. And then, like, even thinking about, like, what colours is going to add on. I did that to everything related to the armour, including the arc reactor itself, didn't he? Because that was the scene in the film, replacing his old arc reactor with uh, with a new one. He had Pepper reach into his chest and... Yeah, that was kind of icky. That was icky. But very well done. Very well well done. Actually, actually, yeah, since we are time, I I liked the humour in the film. I thought it was funny. Some of it did seem a bit weird, though, with how cartoony it was. Yeah. Like, I think it's it's the thing I kind of joked about in the intro, where, like, he's testing his rocket boots, and he just immediately, like, shoots off and flips and slams into a wall. I was just sort of thinking, that man just broke every bone in his body. Yes. Like, there's there's so many scenes in this film where Tony Stark was definitely killed. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Are you saying it's not grounded in real science? <laughs> No. no. What I'm no, what I'm saying is is it is except for those few specific scenes, and that's why they're weird. <laughs> I mean, uh, wasn't there wasn't there a scene where some of him ended up on fire, and then the robot belatedly uh, uh, spread uh, extinguisher on him? No, no. It's it's the recurring gag of him being specifically not on fire. But then the robot sprays him with the fire extinguisher <laughs> yeah. anyway. Yeah. Uh, like I, did, 
And the, the thing the thing is, I had the same thought re-watching this as I did the first time I watched Iron Man, which why has Tony Stark got the scutters off Red Dwarf? Yes, that was the thought I had the very first time I watched it. I was like, that's, what's, that's one of the scutters off Red Dwarf. Why has he got those? <laughs> yes, they, they are literally exactly the same as the scutters. <laughs> and I, the thing is, I kept thinking, he's a billionaire uh, tech, technology genius. Surely he could make something better than a single-arm robot? But then again, having said that, if if I was a technological uh, billionaire that was designing my own stuff around my house, all the designs would be inspired by things that I enjoyed watching in sci-fi and superhero terms. So... I would be sat with all my computer stuff laid out on my TARDIS console room that would be in the middle of my specially designed bat cave in the basement of my big mansion. Yeah, I'm not talking about that, though. I'm talking about the robot, you know, the single-arm robots that he's got helping him. I'm saying that surely he would have had something better than that. Yeah, but what we're saying is that Tony Stark is now canonically a big Red Dwarf fan. Yeah. Ah, uh, right. And I'm very yeah. happy to accept that. Yeah, I'll yeah. go with that. So, so the reason that they're single-armed is because Scutters are single-armed. I'll go with that. But, that, but oh, oh, hang on, hang on, hang on. So that means the red on his armour is representative of the actual Red Dwarf, isn't it? That's right, and and the gold bits are representative of the bits that Lister hasn't finished painting yet. Yeah, that works for me. <laughs> and thus we bring Red Dwarf into the MCU. <laughs> we, we've done it. We've finally fixed the MCU. <laughs> <laughs> so that the Guardians of the Galaxy uh, can have a new member that goes, So, Listy. <laughs> listy, listy, listy. <laughs> Goodness, Arnold Rimmer in the MCU. Oh, the only. <laughs> anyway. Oh, can you imagine the only thing to beat a team that's able to defeat Galactus is just it's somewhere on the horizon. All you hear is Arnold, Arnold, Arnold Rimmer, and Galactus goes no. <laughs> We've only got 15 minutes before Galactus consumes the Earth. Smoke me a kipper. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, even, even just normal Rimmer himself, if the end of Red Dwarf, the original series, taught me anything, it's that there's no being too powerful to not be defeated by a swift kick to the nudges. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's the one tactic no one has tried with Galactus. I mean... Imagine the size of the knee you'd require. <laughs> yeah, maybe, I mean, that's like the big climax. Is kind of you've got your Iron Man, Reed Richards, even Doctor Doom, <laughs> Hank Pym. They all pool their resources just to make a giant knee, <laughs> or 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 a cosmic catapult, <laughs> <laughs> or or being as how you've brought Hank Pym into so. Ant-Man, in micro-form, heading towards Galactus with some rocket boots nicked from Iron Man's suit, and then goes giant just as he makes impact with his knee. 
Alright, that'll do it. What the hell was that? <laughs> I mean, Look, that was flipping town off with his mind. <laughs> <laughs> I had rather a heavy night last night. No, uh, no, that was one of the more considerate drivers in my location. Uh, obviously, steadfastly maintaining both the 20 mile an hour speed limit and the lockdown restriction. Actually, I liked Andrew's idea better. It did sound like someone had been listening in through your window going, oh, that's a good idea. <laughs> Anyway, Iron Man. Um, I think we've talked a lot about kind of the stuff we liked. I think we should probably touch on the stuff we didn't like so much. Oh, like I had one thought, kind of the final fight between Iron Man and Iron Monger was it's kind of a bit bland. Yeah, like, it's very yeah. much a thing that a lot of the MCU took from, where it's just it's Iron Man versus a bigger Iron Man. Yeah, and they just yeah. kind of fly about for a bit until. There's a big explosion. Yeah, it's it's. It also seems really short. Well, I can understand as 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 the epic showdown at the culmination of this movie for the big fight about uh, against the man who's tried to have you killed. Well, I the thing that annoyed me about it um, wasn't how short it was. It's just uh, Tony Stark has this uh, has this new armor, and he's been practicing with it. He developed it. He's trained with it. He's practiced with it. He's going to be how he's going to be well versed with it. He's going to have much better idea of how his armor works compared to uh, Obadiah, who has never used the armor before. You yeah, know. but I mean, at least, at least without this specifically explain, Tony like has to. Obadiah steals his arc reactor, so he's got to plug in the old one, and it's not really like got enough juice to power it. Yeah, but that it does bit... seem weird that like this isn't the bit of the film where like we finally fully see completely what the Iron Man suit is capable of. Yeah, like it's weird that that's like a bit we get midway through the film rather than like as the big climax. Yeah, it's all it's almost like all all the tricks have been revealed ahead of schedule, so actually you sat there through this big fight going, well, why doesn't he do this bit? Why doesn't he do... Oh, he's done that. All right. Oh, it's because the arc reactor's not powerful enough because you've got to use the old one because the new one's powering this older suit of armour. Yeah, and and to the point about how Obadiah manages to manoeuvre his armour uh, without the months of practice that Tony's had, you've got to remember that Obadiah Stain is also Starman. Is he? Not in the MCU yet. Doesn't matter. Once you're Starman, you're always Starman. This is why Jeff Bridges carries on. Oh, uh, yeah. He is. He's Starman. <laughs> see, when, see, this is the problem with you, with you saying he's Starman because there is a comic book character called Starman. And well, <laughs> well, of course there is, because that's how comic book names occur. Yeah, you but... take a noun and add the word man or woman or girl or boy on the end. Yeah, but I like Starman. I was thinking, hang on, when was Obadiah Stan Starman? <laughs> and isn't Starman a DC character? How is this working? <laughs> well, yeah, well, I was very confused. Because the Stargirl TV series has just started, and I know there's a Starman in that. But he's definitely not Jeff Bridges. Exactly. 
Who knew you'd be referring to a late seventies uh, sci-fi movie <laughs> that just happened to star Jeff Bridges <laughs> and has no relation to any superhero <laughs> anywhere? Anyway, also, I did want to offer a rebuttal of these claims that Obadiah Stane would not be like just a master mech pilot. Have you seen that man's Segway skills? <laughs> he's just, he's bobbing and weaving. He's got a cigar in one hand. <laughs> I mean, then See, that, you know, uh, walking uh, through power armor. It's nothing. Yeah, but I mean, that, uh, that to me is on the same level as, you know, a guy plays chess and suddenly he's like a master tactician because he's good at playing chess. I mean, that's not fair. <laughs> Driving a Segway is much harder than chess. <laughs> If he's driving a Segway while playing chess and smoking a cigar, right? Then I'll then I'll concede. <laughs> also, my other favorite thing about the Segway is it's just one of those things that reminds me. Oh yes, this film is from like the late two thousands. Like Tony's little phone with its kind of like yeah tiny video screen that's meant to be this like amazing technological device. But it just looks so rubbish. Nothing, nothing says late two thousands more than the Segway, though. You do know that they're still available, don't you? Yeah, but who uses them now? Well, no one, because they've all gone down to their uh, kick scooter. I, I was about to say, who uses them now, except for people who want to be Paul Blart? Uh, they also, they also do a go kart. And a roller skate. Yeah. In fact, the one thing you can't get from Segway now is a Segway. Ah <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I'm trying to, trying to think. Because we, we've talked about those, you know, kind of motorised personal transportation devices. But now we need, like, a fun way to move on to a different topic. If <laughs> only I could think of a word for that. <laughs> Uh, Transition? Move a majig? Uh, e bike. E bike. Yeah, e bike into the next segment. Yeah, I'm just going to say it. I like Don Cheadle more than Terence Howard. Uh, I think everyone does. Yeah. <laughs> like, it was one of those things at the time I was annoyed because Terence Howard. He does look like how I imagine Rhodey, and Don Cheadle definitely doesn't. Yeah. But, man, Don Cheadle's just such a better actor. Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, it still gets me now when uh, when uh, Terrence Howard looks at the arm and goes, next time, baby. And you're like, no. <laughs> oh, my God. It was, it was great, because I thought Obadiah Stane yelling to Tony Stark, we're ironmongers. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be like yeah. the most awkward way of cramming a reference into this movie. <laughs> yeah. But the fact that Terence Howard practically turns to the screen and says, I'm going to be War Machine in the next movie. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's great because it's A, so like awkwardly shoved in, and B, Oh no, Terence! No, you aren't. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, the, uh, I, 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 I found 
uh, I, I found Terrence Howard to be okay back when I first watched this because I didn't know any better. But now when you go back and watch it and you compare him to just how good Don Cheadle is in the role, it's just like, no, nah, just why did I ever think that he was any good? Hello? Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was thinking I, I have no more to add to that. So uh, shall we move on to the ranking? So at the moment, we have a list from 1 to 11 with Sin City at the top and Ang Lee's Hulk at the bottom. Whereabouts do you think Iron Man comes? Well, I think Ang Lee's position is secure. Is secure. <laughs> um, what was number two and three? Uh, number two, we have Watchmen, the 2019 miniseries. And number three, we have the Arrowverse Crisis on Infinite Earths event. Uh, number four was Birds of Prey, the movie, wasn't it? It was indeed. Uh, number five? I mean, is, is what you're asking for just the whole list, right? Yes, yes, yes. So, yeah, number four, Birds of Prey. Number five, Harley Quinn season one. Number six, X-Men, the first film. Number seven, Lock and Key season one. Number eight, Titan season one. Number nine, Birds of Prey, the 2002 series. And at number 10, it's Titan season two. I'd well, say it's got, above it's, X-Men. It's got to go, go above uh, X-Men. I, I was about to say above X-Men and below Harley Quinn, the, the animated series. Ooh, I'd, I'd probably put it above Harley Quinn. Oh, Controversial, yeah. I, I don't know. Um, because I thought Harley Quinn, I, I mean, okay, there's a, there's a massive time difference between the two productions, but I think the Harley Quinn animated series is uh, it captures a lot more of the essence of Harley Quinn, but then again, Iron Man captures a lot of the essence of Tony Stark, yeah. And I think, I, I think it's a lot easier to cap. It's a lot easier to capture the essence of a comic strip character in a cartoon, in cartoon form. Yeah, than it is in a movie. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I think you're right, Andrew. I above Harley Quinn. Okay, there we go. Yeah, I'm happy with that. If we make Iron Man our new number five, Mick, is that uh, agreeable with you? That is agreeable with me. Well, there we go. That was yeah. easy. Pretty um, unanimous decision we there. We didn't have a fight or anything. No, I uh, I have no argument with the logic logic behind the decision. It makes complete sense. I know. I mean, I feel like every show we get to this point, and you know, I start slipping on the knuckle dusters, <laughs> and then we just reach a fairly easy agreement about things. It's a Simpsons line, isn't it? Got my ladies lined up all for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Even if part of me is still kind of like just begrudgingly accepting Sin City. See. Uh... I know it's begrudging, but it's difficult to argue with as well, isn't it? I know, that's why it's begrudging, because <laughs> it's right, it should be the top. <laughs> I can't think, I, even now, I still cannot think of a more comic booky movie than Sin City. I think, uh, except for possibly, possibly Batman 66, that movie, but only because it had the comic book sound effects that in it. Bob. Don't spoil what's eventually definitely going to be our number one. (laughs) (laughs) Can you believe this is the second online session I've had today where Batman 66 has been mentioned? (laughs) 
I can believe it, and that's exactly how it should be. <laughs> yes. The thing is, you two weren't on the other online session. We weren't. <laughs> it's like just complete parallel thinking. <laughs> it was all to do with shark repellent spray. <laughs> what if we can do some kind of study into like how long into exposure to Mick is it until the conversation inevitably turns to Batman 66? <laughs> and, and weirdly, it's the one Batman movie I don't own. <laughs> that, that is a weird thing because it's the one Batman movie that I'm pretty sure most comic book fans have seen but don't own. Yeah. This was an Iron Man episode. I can't sign <laughs> things off by saying I'm just going to go do the Batusi now. <laughs> um, so I, I think, I think, I think, as a as a sort of final note on Iron Man, I think watching it in isolation, um, I don't think anybody watching the Iron Man movie could have predicted what the MCU became. Yeah. And I think... Uh, oh, oh, you mean like watching it without the rest of the MCU? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I thought you just spent watching it at home now. During lockdown. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, watching it as a standalone movie, as you would have had to do in 2008, Yeah, there's no way you could have seen um, what the MCU juggernaut would have looked like. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm actually, I, actually Mick um, Juggernaut's owned by Fox because he. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, as it was a go big or go home thing, but uh, yeah. I think one of the one of the risks that they took with the Iron Man movie was having John Favreau as the director, because I don't think he was the first choice for di- uh, for director for uh, that particular movie. No, but I I, I also think that where they went. Where they went spectacularly right, and DC, with their now aborted uh, extended universe, went wrong, was they didn't pick one of the A-listers as a superhero. They gambled on, uh, let's face it, a second-tier superhero, which the thing I I think the thing with it is, one, if you veered too far away from the source material, there wasn't enough of a fan base to get upset. Yeah. In the way comic book fans get upset and try and break the Twitterverse to let everybody know how upset they are. And I think um, it was an accessible enough hero because it is the Marvel Batman for for casual cinema goers to get behind. Whereas DC always try to launch with one of the two big ones. Yeah, but the thing is, I think Iron Man uh, in particular was the right choice for Marvel at the time. And one of the reasons for that was because we kind of did have our own uh, global technology mogul in the form of Steve Jobs. And there was that weird parallel between Tony Stark and Steve Jobs in terms of, you know, someone standing on stage presenting technology, being the face of the company, but also the owner of the company. And Do you see what I mean? Right. I now want, I now want, and I'm going to throw this out there, and you can overrule me if you want, Andrew, but I now want our listeners to share through our Twitter 
their artist's impression of what Steve Jobs Iron Man would look like. Oh, an Iron Man suit by Apple. Yeah. <laughs> Please do. Please go to Twitter at BeholdPod. Send us your pictures of Steve Jobs as Iron Man. <laughs> Or if you want to, you can email us uh, beholdpod at gmail.com. But, you know, let us know if you're a fan of the show. Uh, tell, us, tell us what you like best. If you've got any questions for future episodes. And, of course, uh, it would also help us a lot if you left us a review on your podcast app of choice. Which is, of course, where you can find us and uh, all the old episodes. And I think uh, with that said, that's, that's about it from us for this week, isn't it? Yep. Yep. So, uh, thanks for listening, and until next time, I've been Andrew. I've been Mick. And I've been Rob. And now, cue the ACDC to play us out. Yeah, I was... Okay, we can't, we can't actually get the rights to it, so I'll just do... Bum, da 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 da